Hello and welcome to Uncovering Family History, a weekly podcast sharing the stories discovered through family history research. The highs, the lows, the exciting and even the mundane. Not only are we sharing stories, but also research tips picked up along the way that could help you with your research going forward. I love hearing about the stories that others have found in their family trees and the types of records they've managed to uncover during their research. So I wanted to do something that would not only allow me to talk about my ancestors and their stories, but also to get to learn about other people's stories as well. And in the grand scheme of things, maybe connect people with similar research interests. This week, for the first episode, however, I want to introduce myself and put myself through some of the questions that I'll be asking those involved in future episodes. Plus, I'm sharing one of my favourite stories that I've uncovered. It's a weirdly morbid thing to say in regards to the topic of the story, but as fellow family history enthusiasts, I'm sure you can understand how many records you can uncover when death and murder is involved. But more about that later in the episode. My name is Victoria and I'm a blogger from Australia with a keen interest in family history and I really have my mum to thank for getting me involved in researching the family tree. She started her research back in the 1980s, eventually planning a big family reunion for her father's side of the family in 1990 and almost every year since 1995 we've gathered to catch up with family. Naturally, attendance has dwindled over the years, but it's always nice to catch up with those who do attend, considering the only other time we see these people are at funerals. With the family tree dragged out year after year, I've grown up looking at it on an annual basis, and as I got older, I began to appreciate the research my mum had done and the basics she had already covered. All this led to about 11 to 12 years ago, say, when I took over what she'd started and delved a lot deeper, finding records that she hadn't yet uncovered or even attempted to look for, and fleshing out the tree with more leaves and branches and just generally piecing together our ancestors' stories more. Of course, my mum still has a passion for family history and is always intrigued and interested by any updates I share with her but she's definitely glad someone else is doing all the hard work. And there's the comfort that our family history is actually in good hands and won't just be left to family who don't really care about it that much, which I feel like is a worry for a lot of people researching their family tree. The earliest branch I've been able to go back so far is a birth date in 1689 on my father's side to my seventh great-grandfather. On my mother's side, the earliest date again so far is 1765 to my sixth great-grandfather. Overall though, the dates I found for my family's various branches go back to the mid to late 1700s. Not too shabby by any standards, although I'm always a little jealous of how much further back some people can go. And since most of my intense research really only goes back a few generations, there's plenty of opportunity and still plenty of time to go even further back when I finally get there. I think that's enough about me as I know I'll be sharing more about myself and my research in future episodes. If you do have any questions you'd like me or my future guests to answer then be sure to slide into my DMs or shoot me an email or something. All of my social media links can be found in the episode and podcast notes. (music) 
So let's dive into one of my favorite stories from one of my favorite branches of my family tree. I'll admit it's a favorite in part because of this story, but there are certainly a few interesting characters dotted along the way of this branch of my family. Although the same thing can easily be said for pretty much every branch of my family, but this one definitely just stands out as a favorite. This story about my third great uncle, Patrick Lawrence Gleason, is one of true crime and one which I title, It All Happened at the Hotel. It's a story that splashed newspapers across at least three states and has a multitude of records to help piece everything together. It's honestly no wonder it's a favourite as it's the perfect discovery for family history buffs while also appealing to my love of true crime. Patrick, or Paddy as he was known, was born in July 1891, the sixth child of ten born to Patrick Gleason and Ellen Hogan. Patrick and his siblings grew up around Devonish and Gurumbat in northeast Victoria, with most of his siblings eventually settling in Yarrawonga. Paddy, on the other hand, headed across the river and had become a share farmer on Bolgandry Station at Bolgandra in southern New South Wales. Today, Bolgandra is nothing more than a locality with a few building ruins, the only remnants of the small pit stop it had once been. In 1918, Paddy began a relationship with the licensee of the Bolgandra Hotel, Mary Devlin, a separated woman with five children. Initially spending weekends at the hotel, working the bar and doing odd jobs to pay his way, he eventually moved in. Mary then seems to have grown closer to a man named Benjamin Ward, and around this time she grew tired of Paddy's seemingly layabout ways, going so far as to call the constable to evict her former lover. On the 8th of February 1919, Mary refused to serve Paddy his breakfast and evening meals, with this being repeated on Saturday the 9th. On that Saturday, Paddy was reading the paper in the hotel when Mary came in, angry that he was sitting around reading the paper that she had paid for, ripping it from his hands. Paddy left and came back in the evening with a gun and confronted Mary in the hotel's kitchen. The two argued with insults thrown at one another and Paddy fired the gun, hitting Mary just above the right elbow. He then attempted to shoot himself but failed to do so, simply shooting a hole through his beard, clipping his chin with the bullet going out through the ceiling and tin roof. Paddy left the scene with Mary's daughter Marjorie finding her in the kitchen, bleeding profusely from her arm. Marjorie and her brother John managed to apply a tourniquet to the arm and drove her the 41 miles to Aubrey. During the journey, Mary passed out and by the time she reached the doctor, she'd lost a lot of blood. It was decided that Mary's arm would have to be amputated, but instead of doing it at the time, it was put off until the following morning. With her arm amputated above her right elbow, Mary put in a good fight, but sadly passed away by 2pm that afternoon. Cause of death was stated as being due to hemorrhage and shock, resulting from a gunshot wound in her right forearm. However, a more contemporary cause of death has been stated as lead poisoning from the bullet. Paddy, meanwhile, hadn't really strayed far from the hotel, and when the constable came, he didn't deny the charges. He was taken into custody, standing trial two months later at the circuit court in Aubrey. Here, Paddy regaled the conversation that took place between Mary and himself in the kitchen. Quote, I said I did not think she had treated me fairly. I had spent close on £100 in the place, including £25 I had borrowed. She called me a rotten mongrel, or something like that, and turned towards me. 
She came closer to me, and as she did so, she moved her right hand. I stepped back a step. I was very angry. So was she. As I stepped back, the gun went off. I never raised the gun or took any aim. She screamed and ran out of the kitchen. I turned the gun and fired at myself. I was in a very mad and angry state of mind. Then walked across to Palmby's old place, sat down there for about an hour, and asked Gunn to see how she was. This all. End quote. Although Mary had passed, her dying deposition was read aloud to the court. Quote, Patrick Gleason came to me about 11pm on the 8th instant. He said, you would not give me breakfast this morning. I'll blow your brains out. I said, go away and keep away from this place. That was all he said to me. He had a double-barreled gun in his hand and he put it up to his shoulder and fired straight at me. The charge hit me in my right arm. I was in the kitchen of the Bolganda Hotel when this happened. No one else was present at the time. Gleason was at the hotel before 11 o'clock that night. He was there all evening. There was no quarrel. We had no words. He was residing at the hotel about eight months. I feel very bad. I realise that an operation has to be performed and that I am in danger of losing my life. End quote. The jury eventually adjourned to deliberate, coming back four hours later, confused as to whether this was murder or manslaughter. The judge defined each term. Murder if a person shot to kill or conflict grievous bodily harm. Manslaughter if a person, spurred on by abuse or insult, lost control and shot without intent to take a life. And the jury adjourned again. They returned half an hour later with a verdict. Manslaughter. The judge voiced his disappointment in the decision. Not the guilty decision, but the conviction of manslaughter. It seemed he was more in favour of a murder charge, but the jury had made the final call. Paddy was sentenced to 15 years in the Goulburn Jail. Although released in 1934, he did not return to his family in Yarrawonga until the 1940s. By this time, his siblings all had substantial families and most were unaware of who Uncle Paddy was, or that he had been in jail. Rather, he had just been away in Sydney, and that was that. My great-aunt actually recalled some memories of Paddy from when she and her siblings were children, which reinforces the notion that Paddy's life prior to Yarrawonga wasn't really talked about. Quote, Paddy broke horses in the backyard of their place, and yes, he was a dirty old man. He would come across and drink with Dad, and Mari remembers that we were always sent up the other end of the house or outside to play, which explains why I remember him, but always at a distance, end quote. One thing that I've always wondered is what effect Paddy's crime and the ensuing court case and then his sentencing had on his family back in Yarrawonga. And did he keep in contact with anyone while serving time? It's clear from him being welcomed back into the family upon his return to Yarrawonga that no one was really ostracising him from the family. So it's very interesting. Paddy never started a family of his own and passed away in Yarrawonga in 1954. As I said, my love for this story is super morbid. But as you would no doubt understand, it's the major stories of death, murder and destruction that make the headlines and that land in the records. For Paddy, he appeared in numerous newspaper articles, court documents and jail papers and probably more that I haven't been able to unearth yet. And while some people may be ashamed to have so much scandal in their family tree, I love it and crave it. What does that say about me, I wonder? If you want to read 
read about more stories which will actually be told in future episodes or check out some of my other family history related content then make sure you check out my blog. I have a few posts looking at the different research databases you should be checking out as well as sharing how I've organized my physical collection. Plus if you head over to my shop page you'll find some genealogy document bundles available to help in your research and recording. And If you're interested in getting involved with the podcast and having a chat with me and sharing a story or two from your own ancestry, then be sure to fill out the form linked in the episode and show notes. I cannot wait to hear about what interesting stories you've been able to uncover in your research. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and follow me on social media to stay in the loop about new episodes and ways to get involved. Until next week, happy researching. 